And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Do you know that God's work of justifying sinners is apart from their good works and also apart from their religious rituals? God's work of justifying sinners is pure grace. And with his message is our pastor, Robert Elliott. Where I used to live, there was a plumbing company that had a very interesting advertisement. They said on the television that the plumbing company promises to pay the customer $5 for every minute they are late in arriving at the job. They said, if we're late to when we said we come to fix your plumbing problem, we'll pay you $5 for every minute we're late. That's interesting. The plumbing company was saying, we are going to credit $5 per minute late to your account. That's interesting. Verse 3 makes the point that God credited Abraham's account with righteousness based on Abraham's belief in God and not on Abraham's religious performance. So much for the thought that Abraham perfectly kept the Mosaic law, which was not yet given when he lived, and because he perfectly kept the Mosaic law that was not yet given as he lived, that somehow he could give religious brownie points to his descendants, the Jews. So much for that. Justification is apart from our works. was for Abraham, and it is for you. Now, of course, when God credits the believing sinner with righteousness, God is granting the believing sinner grace. Hope you never get over grace on planet Earth because you'll never get over grace in eternity in heaven. Grace, as I mentioned this morning, is us getting the positive from God which we don't deserve. G, God's, R, riches, A, at, Christ, C, expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. That's justification. God's riches at Christ's expense. Remember I said that Joanna, when she was a little girl, asked, what is a gift certificate? It was hard to explain for a little child's level. Finally, I came up with you getting, every, you getting everything that somebody else paid for. That's grace. And justification is apart from our works. It was for Abraham, it is for the Jews, it is for us Gentiles. It's apart from works. And now we move from the illustration of this in Abraham, the the father of the Jews, to the favorite king of the Jews, uh, King David, verses 6 to 8 again. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account. So justification is not only being given the positive of Christ's righteousness, it's also being not given the consequences of our sins. It's the mercy of God, not giving us the bad that we deserve. The verses that are read in my Bible, they're capitalized to show me that it's an Old Testament quote. The verses quoted here are Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. 
And these Old Testament verses give us the other side of justification, as I just mentioned. The first side of justification's coin is the crediting of righteousness by faith. And here is the second side of justification's same coin. It's the non-crediting of unrighteousness for one's sin. God is free to be merciful to sinners for a reason. God is free to be merciful to us sinners because his son's life, death, and shed blood. God is free to be merciful because his son's life and death and shed blood dealt with our sins. God is holy. He can't just wink at sin. That's not a biggie. God is just. God's holiness and God's justice would be meaningless if he could be trivial about sin. But Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he made it white as snow. Jesus. Grace is God giving us the good we don't deserve, Christ's righteousness. Mercy is God not giving us the negative which we do deserve as filthy sinners. Now in looking at verses 6 to 8, we see three ways of depicting God's amazing mercy. Number one, lawless deeds forgiven. I see that in the first part of verse 7. Number two, sins covered. I see that in the second part of verse 7. And number three, sin will not take into account, verse 8. These are three ways that the text tells us that God has demonstrated in justification his mercy to the believer. Our lawless deeds are forgiven, 7a. Our sins are covered, 7b. And he will not take into account our sin. That's verse 8. So positively or negatively, justification is apart from good works. Don't miss this. Justification, being acquitted, being declared righteous, and innocent in the courtroom of heaven, justification is apart from good works. We can't earn justification. Due to grace and due to mercy, justification is apart from our good works. Aren't we glad? Aren't we blessed? So let me ask you, if you're glad and blessed that your justification is apart from your works, are you vocal? We better be vocal. There's a world out there who, when they do think of God, think that he wants them to earn their way to heaven. They tell us all the time. When we ask them, if God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? They tell us all the time. I've heard it all the time, wherever I've pastored. When I say, if God should ask you, why should he let you into his heaven? They say, because I hope my good outweighs my bad. How could a person know? But the good news, the hopeful news, is that justification is apart from good works. It's due entirely to God's grace and God's mercy and due to the finished work of Christ on the cross. Let's be vocal. Let's not make this a holy hoarding of justification. Now let's move on to the second point. Justification is not only apart from works. Secondly, justification is apart from religious rituals. Justification is apart from religious rituals. Never underestimate the religious bent of people who don't understand justification biblically, never underestimate their ability to create religious rituals. 
But justification is apart from religious rituals. See this in verses 9 to 12, please. Is this blessing then upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe. Without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. Twelve. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Of course, the special sign that God dictated and provided for the covenant that he entered into with his nation Israel was a rite that was performed on baby Jewish boys that is called circumcision. And verse 9 opens with the words, is this blessing? We must ask, what blessing? Well, the preceding context tells us, the verses leading up to the first part of verse 9 tell us us what the blessing is in view here. And the blessing is this, the fact that justification is apart from works. The justification is via God crediting believing Jews the good and God not crediting believing Jews the bad. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. I'm Pastor Nicholas, and I serve as a youth pastor at Calvary Bible Church. And today we want to pick up where we left off last week as we look at the life of Paul and see how he need to persevere through different problems and trials in his life. We talked a little bit about how, and even in his ministry, um, even when he was trying to serve God, the different problems that he had, as he almost died a lot of times, survived a shipwreck, got bit by a snake, had multiple disagreements, even from people who was in the church, people who didn't want to trust him. But Paul persevered. Paul recognized that we had to end it. Today we want to pick up on a passage scripture in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 5 to 10. It says this, I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool, because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you, so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficult times. For the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, as we consider this passage, we consider the life of Paul as he is going through this tough time and this trial in his life. Many have debated what the thorn was and, and you know, all those things. But that's not what we want to focus on. We want to focus on this morning about how Paul recognized that even though he's going through this trial, that he must boast in his weaknesses. 
he must look to God to help him through his trial. And God basically says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. You see, sometimes God has to bring us to our lowest point so that we can see him who he truly is. You know, think of our life for a second. If everything was going good, if everything was going the way we planned it out, what would happen to us? Would we see the need of God in our lives? Or would we thank God for our lives, for what's going on? A lot of times as Christians, sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves that we don't pray to God until something comes in our lives that we need to pray to Him about. That's easy for us to, you know, sometimes think about, yeah, you know, many people say, I like pray. But when do you really spend that time in prayer? When do you spend time with, you know, fasting and praying about things? You see, we know that Paul was going through a lot of different trials in, in this time. Paul understood that what we need to understand is that his weakness could help him make him strong and that his obstacles could become his opportunities. For Paul, his pain was a chance to grow in faith, a chance to grow in character, a chance to experience the grace, power, and strength of God. You see, Paul trusted that when life gets hard, God helps us persevere. You know, when life gets hard, God helps us persevere. So I want to challenge you as we have been talking about in this series, the different trials in life that we've been going through, the different problems. And as again, as we consider the post-Dorian, we need to recognize that we have gone through these problems for a reason. God has a plan. We need to turn to God and we need to, to persevere. We need to ask him for help. Does it make it easier? No. As we as we read in the life of Paul, Paul, then he got in ministry, life became hard. It was difficult for him. So what are we going to do? How are you going to persevere? You see, the question isn't if life is going to get difficult. It's going to get difficult. When life gets difficult, God may not always fix it, but God will always help you endure it. As you persevere through difficulty, you can be joyful because you know God will use your pain to grow your character and grow your faith. You see, we need to persevere through these different trials. We need to turn to God. We need to seek Him. We need to ask Him for help. Ask Him, what are you trying to teach me, God? What are you trying to teach me in this trial? What are you trying to teach me in what I'm going through? You know, last week as, as we close our segment, we, we looked a little bit of, of James chapter 1 and, and verses 2 to 5. And, you know, this was a verse for me that I remember the first time really looking in Scripture and seeing it. I thought to myself, well, what what's going on here? I mean, how how can somebody do this? How can someone count it pure joy when they go through trials? But that's what the Scripture says, that we have to consider it great joy. As we go through to experience these various trials. And the question there is not if, it's when we're going to experience trials. You see, when we come to know Christ as our personal Savior, we need to recognize that we're going to always have trials. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to, you know, as we looked at early in this series, we got to pray for those who persecute us. It's going to come. The question is, are we going to be ready for it? Are we going to be re- ready to stand against these things because that's the reality what's going to happen we need to endure we need to persevere and through these things as verse 4 of James chapter 1 says it will make us mature complete lacking nothing 
So I want to challenge you as we close this series. I want you to ask yourself this question. Where do you turn when you go through various trials? Where do you turn when you have problems? Do you look at trials and, and, and problems in your life at the time to grow in your faith? To produce the true character of your life? Because reality is that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to really experience who Christ is in your life when you go through those trials. Because you know you have someone you can turn to and talk to. A Christian life is not an easy life to live. But it's great to know that we have a God that we, who's, who walks with us through every problem. Who is there in the good times and the bad times. Who is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And as one song said, He's the same God in the valley. As the same God on the mountaintop. So when we're down in the valley, He's that same God. When we're on that mountaintop, when things are going great, He's that same God. So my question for you is this. Who are you going to trust? Would you put your faith and trust in a God that is always there? Who promises to never leave you or forsake you? Or are you going to try to continue to go through these trials and tribulations on your own without the help of the one that knows what's best for your life? And now, today's personal God story. Good morning, my name is Michael Roker, and today I just want to share with you my personal salvation story, how I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church as a kid regularly. I went to a Bible-believing school, and I considered myself to be a Christian. Later on, as I became a teenager and eventually started to make my own decisions, I started to, I guess, go with the crowd, and I strayed away from the faith. Um, I considered the Bible just to be a set of rules that hindered me from having fun. And so I started to do my own thing and find my own way and, and find my own happiness. So I started getting into different things. I started going out to the clubs and partying and getting involved in women and drinking and even into drugs. And that carried on from in my teenage years into my early adulthood. And I did these things uh, for my own pleasure and enjoyment and happiness. And um, I thought that was the way. As time went on, I continued in this lifestyle thinking it would make me happy and fulfilled, but it was the actual opposite. Um, I found that I started to feel uh, empty I started to feel lonely and, and guilty for all the decisions that I was making in my life. Um, the more I indulged, the worse it became. Uh, so what I tried to do for myself was I started to um, look into different ways of curing this. So I looked into something, things beyond the physical. I, I started searching spirituality. Um, I was looking for meaning in my life and purpose and pretty much to fill the emptiness that I had. I started looking at different religions. Um, I started looking into um, anything metaphysical. Um, I even looked, I even tried to do meditation, but nothing filled that void. Nothing worked. Um, this left me feeling more empty than ever. And I remember one night I was in my room and I was sitting down and I thought um, I tried everything. I did all that I could do. 
um, I was pretty much at my end. I was at rock bottom. There was nothing else I could do. I, I tried everything. I tried searching, um, tried to find my own happiness, but it just, it just did not work out. I was, I was drawing a blank. And so the last thing I could think of, of course, was a prayer. So I reached out to God and I prayed and I asked him, I said, God, if you really do exist, if you are real, then show me who you are. I want to know the truth. I really just, I tried everything on my own and it's not working. So I really want to know who you are and I would, I just want to know the truth. And I begged him that night just to show me who he really was. I knew that I couldn't rely on myself anymore because that fails. So I just asked him to um, show me who he was. After this, not too far after that, maybe a few weeks, um, an uncle of mine who was living in the United States for a very long time, he moved back to the Bahamas. And um, I connected with him and hung out with him for a bit uh, just to catch up from when he was living in the Bahamas. And one thing that I noticed was that um, he had a relationship with Jesus. So he would start talking to me about Jesus and um, about God and the Bible. And I found interest in that and I started to observe him. And I noticed that um, he had a, a strong love for Jesus and he had a reverence for him. He respected him, he loved him, and he had a strong devotion toward Jesus Christ. And um, that attracted me to look back into Jesus again and who he really was. And so I started to study the Bible with him. I started to pray with him, have a lot of conversations about Christianity and about the faith. Um, also at the same time, a coworker of mine she invited, um, she started a Bible study at my work with, with a few of the co-workers there um, every Tuesday and Thursday, I think. And so I joined that. And um, it was just a, a short Bible study, about a half an hour during our lunchtime, every Tuesday and Thursday. And so um, I, found, I found that to be a, a help as well. However, one day after the Bible study, uh, the leader who was a pastor, he asked me to meet up with him um, at Starbucks. And so I thought it was no harm in that. So I, I did that. I met up with him and we started talking and he really challenged me about my personal uh, relationship with Jesus. Um, I was, I was kind of taken aback by this uh, because I know I believed that Jesus existed. I believe that he died, rose again, but I never really had that personal relationship with him. Um, and so after that, for a few weeks, I just started studying with uh, this pastor, uh, the, the Word of God, and and I was really challenged to think about what Jesus meant in my life. And so I really struggled for a while there because of all the things that I've done. I didn't think that Jesus would really accept me uh, for all the bad things that I've done, all the bad decisions I've made, and, um, and basically who I was. Um, but going back into the Bible and, and looking at His promises, He... I realized that um, he died for me. He had so much love for me that no matter all the things I've done, he died so that I can have a relationship with him and that I can be forgiven. And he took the punishment that I was supposed to receive and he loved me so much that he did that for me. And so that's the motivation that, that um, I decided to uh, trust in him, trust what he did for me and to devote uh, myself to him. So I completely surrendered to him uh, during those weeks. And after that, I just got back into studying the Bible 
And following that, I started to look for a church. I went around to a few different churches, and I finally landed here at Calvary Bible Church, where I got baptized. And um, I was welcomed in by everybody in the church, and I started um, some Bible studies with the men, started to learn more about my faith. And um, a little later on, I started to get involved in some of the youth ministries here, um, which was great as well. And just seeing how God reached out to me and what he's done for me uh, made, made such a huge impact in my life. You know, I, I trusted on myself and I trusted in what I could do for myself to get happiness. But I realized now that I had to place my trust in Christ and who he was um, in order to fill that void. And so I just want to say, if you've never made that personal decision today to put your faith in him, um, if you think you've done so much wrong that he won't forgive you, um, he always will. He's loved you that much that he died for your sins, that you may be forgiven today. I would invite you today to make that decision if you never have, because he loves you and he will always pursue you. So in that, I just want to thank you for listening to my personal testimony, and God bless. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Galatians 6.16 gives rise to the question, To whom does Paul refer when he writes, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God? Many commentators suggest that Paul is referring to believing Gentiles, them, and believing Jews, the Israel of God. By adding the phrase, and upon the Israel of God, Paul singles out Jewish Christians for special mention. But one wonders why Paul would argue neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision in Galatians 6 verse 15 and then distinguish the two believing peoples in the very next verse. A better solution is to understand that Paul is identifying believing Gentiles with the Israel of God and conjunction the conjunction and or Greek chi between them and the Israel of God is Epexegetical, haven't said that word for a while. Identifying the two as one. And the chi might be better translated even. In verse 16, Paul brings the argument of this epistle to a pinnacle. Gentile believers don't need Jewish ritual because no one can be justified by the works of the law, Galatians 2, verse 16. There is no difference spiritually between Jewish and Gentile believers, Galatians 3, 28 and 6, verse 15. 
The whole Christian community, believing Jews and believing Gentiles, constitute the sons and daughters of Abraham through faith. See Romans 4, verses 11 and 12, and verse 16. This affirmation does not undermine the distinctiveness of the Jewish people in biblical prophecy, nor detract from the specific promises made by God to ethnic Israel. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.